Today's episode has a lot of references to Hawaii and because of the devastating wildfires, it's really important for you to know that we did record this before the fires even started. Now, if you're anything like us, you're probably wondering how you can lend a helping hand to Hawaii and we wanted to make sure that you knew about a couple of resources. There are many reputable organizations out there that are helping the folks on the ground in Maui, like the Maui Food Bank, the Maui Humane Society, and of course, the American Red Cross. You can text the word Red Cross, R-E-D-C-R-O-S-S, to 90999 and make a quick $10 donation. Thanks, guys, because if everyone does a little, nobody has to do it all. This episode of the I Needed That podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and NeuroGum and Mint. Absolutely. So the first one would be NeuroGum. Have you have you heard about NeuroGum? I have. I actually bought a pack of this gum at a Sprouts one time. How were you introduced to it? So a couple months ago, JB, who's our project manager on our app, is like, Dude, I've got the best gum in the world. You're going to freak out. He gave me a sample. I loved it. Um, and and he is the funniest thing is like, not only does it make you feel great, increase your focus, but the flavor of it. I don't know how you guys did it, but you did it. And it's so good. It lasts forever. Go to the sponsor link, which we've set up for you at trynerogum.com slash I needed that. That's T-R-Y-N-E-U-R-O-G-U-M.com slash I needed that to enjoy energy, calm and focus whenever you need it. Try the gum, try the mint. You're going to love them both. Let's talk about better help. For so many people, it's an incredible service and it's needed now more than ever. Amen to that. For sure. And what's so great about BetterHelp is it's the world's largest therapy service. It's all online, 100% online. So to get started, all you do is you answer a couple of questions about your needs, your preferences in therapy, and then you're off and you're scheduling uh, with somebody that is going to be able to talk to you. Now, what I love about BetterHelp is say you don't connect with somebody right away. There's, there's people waiting in the wings. Like, you can change therapists. That's no big deal. That's what I love about it, too. They'll actually match you up with someone who has uh, commonalities and has shared experiences. And so they can really connect with you because it's like, oh, yeah, well, I've been through that, too. And yeah. we're going to save you a little bit of money. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash I Needed That. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash I Needed That. And just so you know, we're going to throw all of this stuff in the show notes, too, because we really want you to take advantage of it. There is literally nothing better than talking to a therapist and picking up some tools to make your life more meaningful. And what I want to say to people is, is so many times we think about therapy and we think, oh, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. There's almost nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You no. just need a couple of tools and tricks and strategies and something like to kind of set you up and get you to the next place, right? That's, that's it. Just like we need exercise for our physical health, therapy is there for our mental health. And you can't, you can't have one without the other. It's a holistic approach and I can't, I cannot stress it strongly enough. Yeah. So go ahead and take a look in the show notes. Get a link to NeuroGum yeah. Better Help, Move One Million, uh, learn from people who lived it.com is how you connect with me. That's it. That's all we got for you today. You ready to get into the podcast? Yes. Let's go, buddy. I needed that. There you go. I I'm down for that. I Let's think that's cool. Well, Chris's podcast, I Needed That, co-hosted by Matthew Blades, is available on all streaming platforms, everybody. So this is actually where we get down into some really tips and tactical stuff. I like it. And, and here we go. And Solutions and strategies. That's what this is all about. Bro, what? we just hit 100000 We made 100000 $100,000? No, no, 100,000 downloads. Again, we're talking with Rachel from season five of my show. And tell you so how where often. are they now episode? It, it is. For those of you who don't know me, I walked away from my radio show with a year left on my contract. <laughs> Who's whistling right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 
goodness. I am so excited about today's episode, Chris. Powell. I am too. We have we have a superstar in the world of sports joining us. Royalty. Yes. An Olympian. Yeah. The real deal. She's a real runner. We're going to get to that in just a couple of moments. We're so happy you're a part of our I Needed That podcast today. I'm, of course, Matthew Blades. And I'm Chris Powell. Oh, man. And this, is, this is it. We both just came off some big weekends. We certainly did. <laughs> yeah, you, you go first. Well, we'll, well, I want to bring in Alexi and have that conversation. But, yeah, we have to talk about this because both of us spent our weekends in polar opposites of America. <laughs> we did. You went to Hawaii. I went to Kentucky. We'll talk about why. <laughs> each of us was in those places. But yeah, I think without further ado, uh, we bring in Alexi Papas, who is an Olympic runner, an award-winning filmmaker. She's got a brand new book geared toward teens, and it's coming out tomorrow called Bravey. Let's bring her in live from Colorado. Yeah. Hello, Alexi. I love that that you were in Kentucky and Hawaii because there are... There's a story in a book from Hawaii from when I was a child, and I have also another story in my life from Kentucky, so I have a point of view on those places as well. Oh, we've got a lot <laughs> to talk about today then. Well, yeah, let's jump right in. What What's the story in uh, Kentucky? What's the story in Hawaii? Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the okay. podcast. Should I share without knowing what you were doing in these places? For yes, sure. absolutely. <laughs> this okay. is a completely open <laughs> platform here, so anywhere you want to go. Hawaii was the place where I had my first uh, crush, and it's uh, (laughs) a... Was it it a vacation crush? Yeah, it was a vacation crush. It was very brief, (laughs) about one minute long, and my... my dad, my dad, like we didn't do a lot of vacations, but he's always been very into Hawaii, and so I remember we went to Hawaii, and I on the water slide alone, which was a really big privilege as a very young person. And I had a feeling about this boy that was standing in front of me in this very long, you know, hotel resort water slide line. (laughs) And, um, I was very, I was just like, what is this feeling? Like you, you like spark inside of you. That is a, that is a crush, which I now think, you know, we feel crushes for things beyond people, but, but at first you feel it, I think for, for a human. And, and, and then he went down the water slide and I never saw him again and had my first heartbreak <laughs> at the same place. And then Kentucky was where my cross country team in college won the national championship. And it was such a lovely experience uh, because we won and I got to stay in Kentucky with my dad and my brother afterwards. And we, you know, our vacations as adults were to like extend my race trips. And so we weren't going to Hawaii anymore, but we got to go to the Sluggerville factory and Churchill Downs and like do the things that people maybe think they should do in Kentucky. And I had great memories there. So I hope you guys had good trips there too. Yeah, no, it was nice. It was nice. I went there to do some speaking. Uh, I speak on burnout and self-care strategies and Kristen of course was in Hawaii for move 1 million. Yeah. Do you know about move 1 million, Alexi? No. Oh, we got to take you through it sometime. Well, like, let her awesome. know what it is. Oh, it's a nonprofit that I started during the pandemic to uh, to bring movement and mindfulness to our to our kids in schools because we were all oh, quarantined. Wow. Remember, everyone was was doing yeah. everything virtually because of the physical, mental, social health. Everything was declining, and so it's a quick five minute program that uh, that actually everyone moves together for about two and a half minutes. Then we all sit together and we do like two and a half minutes of mindfulness. 
And it's been really cool because all these different schools have, they've been adopting it around the nation. There's actually a, we're moving like about a hundred thousand kids a day uh, around the, the world with uh, in, in 76 countries. And so the department of education actually flew me out there. So they're adopting it in uh, in the public schools out there. That's amazing yeah. because it's, it's like a doable thing, which I'm sure is the most compelling part for these schools is that there's um like, there's obvious, and it's like, it's like at the system level now, which yes. is such a, that's so different than the impact you have on one human, which is so important too, but that you are in the school system now is such a, um, that's a huge, that's a huge mountain to move, right? It's, yeah. It's been incredible, especially that they're, everyone's so open to the conversation about mental health, which of yeah. course we want to talk to you about, which is going to be, um, which I know it's been a huge part of your journey as well. So yeah, it's, it's been really yeah. cool seeing everything grow, but, um, I want to go back to, of course, these two locations were two very pivotal moments in your life. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I was going to say if I was going to put any weight on one, it sounds like Kentucky was probably, I don't know which one was more exciting, your first crush or, <laughs> or winning your, the, the championship. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> well, I would say that we're always like at the height of our intelligence at any one time in our life, right? So when you're younger, like think stress and excitement and anticipation like all the things you feel are just like they're they're you you don't even want to say they're limited to how much you know at the moment but they are like within this sphere so I'm sure the feeling of nervousness before the championship race was not that dissimilar to the to the the fear of trying to talk to this boy in a water slide line (laughs) but um the race in Kentucky was cool because running is so often seen as an individual sport but cross country really is a team sport and to win a, a national title with a team, you actually have to to embrace that you you uh, you matter, and you don't know how much you're going to matter because you can't see anything going on around you. Um, and you also you need your teammates, and so uh, it was quite fun. Um, it was fun. Look, team team NCAA championships, no matter what the sport, it is amazing to win with a team. Yeah. What, what do you like more individual or team? Cause you, you've done a little bit of both. I like team sports, but I like making running into a team sport. So like when I'm um, like, uh, I, I've always, I always, I always see it as a team sport, whether you're uh, relying on a teammate, like in your training to get better or in a race, even when you're racing, people you want to beat there is part there are parts of races where you actually are benefiting from working together for a period of time right like it is better to sit in a pack of people moving through a race than to be on your own breaking the wind deciding the pace and all that um but of course like in any individual and any team sport you're meant to perform at your own you know with integrity um and there's actually a greek word that I'm Greek American and there's a Greek word that we don't have in English that refers to um, like, there's one word that means good competition and the other word means bad competition. And it basically means like you, the good competition is you do your best and you hope all of your teammates and competitors do their best. It's like athletic integrity. And we don't really have that word here, but I think that's, that's where I like, that's a long answer to your question. I, I like love these this. parts. <laughs> I love this yeah, so much. Too. When did you like figure out that you loved this thing 
called running? Because that is not a thing like that everybody enjoys. But when for you, were you like, yeah, I really like this running thing? Yeah, well, I did not love it as a kid. And it's so important to share with, you know, parents and people and young people out there that it's not it's not like we don't always like love a thing we will love if we're not in the right environment. And when I, you know, when I was little, I played a lot of sports. My dad raised us as a single dad and sports were kind of his way to teach us, teach my brother and myself how to fall down and get back up. And so I was in soccer and all the, you know, basketball, softball, running, all the things and running. I was really good at, but I didn't quite have the environment that was positive around me. It was just the awareness that I was good at it. And I, I, um, I would finish races, even the ones that I won when I was really little and just say, I never want to do that again. It hurts so much. And, and my dad was always like, all right, all right. Like he, he never took the the negative parts too seriously. Um, and he knew I would want to get back out there, but really, um, two things happened. One, I actually got kicked off my high school running team twice. Not, I wasn't a bad kid, but I didn't want to quit all these other sports. And our coaches wanted us to, when we were 16, we were young, we we're in high school. And so I, de facto, I, I did, did not, was not allowed to run if I didn't quit all these other sports that I loved and theater and all these things. And so I didn't run my junior and senior year of high school. And when I fell in love with running to answer your question was when I found the environment that running became fun, which was in college. And I had a team and I had woods to roam around in. And I discovered that running was a great social sport. Um, so the environment made all the difference in the world. It wasn't as much the sport as how my cells felt doing it. Wow. That's a great answer. I, I caught something else in there and, and I don't mean to digress from running, but it's, this is all part of your story. Theater. Not to mention, yeah. I mean, not only are you an incredibly decorated runner and you've got, you've received just about every award <laughs> under the sun, but also you're a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, and a producer. So it sounds like you found some passions when you were younger that have now translated into your adult life and you're kind of, you're taking all of your loves and you're putting them together. How, how did that come about? It's a, well, I love, first of all, sports are so they are performances, you know, like when you're running, especially track, like there's a little stage, people are watching, you're in the costume and that feels very fun to me. And so that I've always been drawn and like, imagine that all your cells don't even really understand what they're doing. I don't know why I'm thinking about cells in our body. I'm not a scientist, yeah, I love it. but you're, like, they just feel awesome. like your cells feel effort. They feel excitement. They feel pain. They feel uh, like pressure. And so like some of that feels similar, whether you're running or you're performing. And I like that feeling. So that's one thing. Um, so when you're little, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, like little kids tend to look up to individuals, right. Or like occupations, right. Like I want to be an Olympian. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a chef. Um, or I want to be this person. I want to be Britney Spears. I want to be me and him. Those are my people. Um, but when you grow older, the more and more you just like lean into the things you do, the less and less you find that you could be an exact human that you're looking up to, or at least that's what I found. And so I think there was a period of time in my life where I looked up to these different individuals that were not the same person. And then I realized that I could not be any one of those individuals anymore because my life had diverged too much from one of those people. So then I was like, well, I just stuck with being me because I'm just the thing that, you know, it's too divergent from any of these paths. Um, 
And so I think, I think it's, it's important for people at a certain point in their life to begin realizing that, that they might be, we are all more original than we think at, at birth, right? Like we can, I could never actually be Britney Spears no matter what. I didn't have the, you know, so we, we should really realize that sooner. But I think at a certain point I was like, I love all of these things. I want to be good at them individually, but now maybe in my later, later career, I can do them more in tandem. Yeah. I want to pick up on something that she said, and I want to really echo this to anybody that might be listening who has a hand in high school sports, middle school sports and anything like that. It's like if you don't allow these kids, if we don't allow these kids to be multi-sport, to be multifaceted, to be a runner, but also be in theater, but also be on the golf team or whatever that looks like, we really, really are doing them the biggest disservice mm-hmm. that we could possibly offer. The fact that as a 16 year old, you had to pick a love to me, it it bothers me on, on just on every level. And the way that we've designed youth sports right now is, is not always the most productive for, for kids, right? I think it works for the adults and it works for the organizations, but it doesn't necessarily work for the kids. And so I'm glad to hear somebody like Alexi Pappas, an Olympian say, yeah, I experienced this and I'm telling you, it wasn't positive. It wasn't a great experience that I was forced to choose in those moments. I mean, it's worked out for you, right? We can all, we can all say that now, like your, your life has taken shape and you've been able to accomplish some really incredible things, but you know, I think that's worth articulating to coaches yeah. that are listening to our show right now that let kids be kids. Let them try a lot of things. Let them experience a lot of things. They will be better for it in the long run. And coming from a hardcore yeah. co- a hockey coach, coming from a coach, <laughs> which yeah. you've been doing yeah. that for a long time. In fact, that's all we were talking about this morning is I know. coaching is hockey coaching. But yeah, that's no, it's refreshing coming from both. of you. It's like, yeah, we, yeah. we need to give them that kind of diversity. And 100%. so I'm Alexi, I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Let's talk it's, running. You got this new book coming out tomorrow. It's going to be geared towards young kids. You've already written Bravey and that was geared towards adults. But why did you feel like you wanted to write a book specifically to kids? What was going on? Let's just take the the crush that we talked about earlier. You know, the adult book has talked a lot about like love or being in a long distance relationship. Or I was like, no teenager or 11 year old needs to like read about that yet but like dealing with like early relationships first love and all that that's different right crushes that's like more relevant um the reason why I wanted to to write Bravey for you know this younger audience though is really to try to put into words some of the life-changing vocabulary shifts that I learned the hard way in a little simple bit of simpler terms for younger people, because there are things that I should have known sooner and younger. And there are also things that I wish were less, um, less of like a cloud that I couldn't quite catch and more something that I could see in front of me and visualize. So the young readers book is less of a memoir, less about like personal experiences to me and more uh, like a companion for these young people to start to understand mental health, chasing big dreams that seem like really impossible and maybe having like a little bit of an alternative childhood. Um, Cause I certainly grew up, you know, different as many people did. Yeah. Uh, and Maya Hawk wrote the forward and Maya, you know, she has a different experience than me. So I love what she brought to the forward talking about some of her um, challenges in school and growing up as well. Could you expound upon that just a little bit? Yeah, of course. So 
So I mentioned before, but I grew up with my dad and my brother. And so my mom, she had like um, manic bipolar. And when I was young, she was like pretty sick and not living at home and had to be in various like care facilities uh, and was home sometimes, but I have very difficult memories of her. And then she actually, she took her own life when I was four. And so growing up, um, mental health was very confusing for me because I wasn't taught. I, I didn't learn about how she died till much later. And it was confusing for me to grow up without a mom in, in the way, in the ways you would imagine. I mean, from trying to get my dad to like do my hair in certain ways for school to just like, you know, just ba basic things were, were mysterious to me. And so I had to learn how to navigate life in like, um, in, in a survival way that both served me and has been something that in adulthood, I've tried to, to kind of, you know, detrain a bit too, because to be so independent, um, or to be so scared of losing people or to be so scared of getting sick or being sad is limiting, right? It's, it's helpful until it's limiting. Um, and so again, sports were like a big, you know, way to, to do, to push myself hard and matter in a way that felt inherently good. Um, but I think growing up that way created some confusion and adaptations that are strengths and weaknesses for me. Do you mind if I ask her a follow-up on this? Absolutely. Okay, so I, I, my whole life now is spent talking about belief systems and helping people understand mm. that the things that happened to them when they were children set up an operating system in, in them and that they, they sort of need to unlearn that because, you know, like the thing isn't still happening anymore. And so, yes, thank you very much, Brain, for keeping me alive and keeping me safe in all of those situations. But now that I'm older and I'm an adult, I can, I can unwire that set of belief systems and they don't have to be what holds me back anymore. And so I'm wondering if you are able to articulate how you, what were some of the solutions and strategies that you might've used to start to unravel that belief system? Because man, do I hear you fiercely, Alexi, when you talk about what happened to your mom, how that would have impacted you, the limited set of beliefs that it would have put up within you. How were you able to sort of unwrap those things in order to do things like, you know, go to the Olympics, win the state titles, all of the things that you've been able to accomplish? Because you couldn't do that with limited beliefs. Well, you can do quite a bit with limited beliefs, actually. Okay. But there, but it can kind of, I think it can uh, eventually have some sort of like, tidal wave effect and and hurt you more afterwards so like it's somewhere right the effects don't go nowhere but they're not always like dispersed proportionately meaning it's not like when you have some adaptation like you're talking about it's not like i don't think it hurts and helps you evenly i think it is um so what i mean by that specifically is that I think i could drive myself to great distances because of the things i faced so for example, I learned recently that it is very possible that because of some of the things that I saw as a child that I could not feel pain like a normal person feels it because I saw some things that um, were really, really unseeable. Uh, I, 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 uh, I saved my mom's life one time, and I think that to see something like that, you just don't – you adapt and you don't see things, right? So – 
that might've helped me in athletics, right? Because I might have not been able to feel some of the pain of running that and, and might've pushed through some stuff, but then it, it can hurt you because afterwards, right. And this, there's an inevitable dip after every big peak, like an Olympics, I also could not, you know, always get in touch with pain of depletion or pain of, right. So there's, do you see Like it goes both ways. And I think it's, it would be hard for me to say that it didn't help, but, but I would argue that my most curious thought is, could we do it without the adaptation, right? Like, could we, could kids get to these great heights without the engine being fueled by something like that? Um, so, but to do some of the unraveling, I think a lot of it happened later in life. And I think that's why the book feels more important to me because it would have been nice to have some of it happen more evenly. Um, it's a lot of slowing down, right. And trying to separate our initial thoughts from, uh, from everything that happens after thought and to know, like we have thoughts, but we are not our thoughts. Like there's basic things that can allow us to create a distance between the initial feeling thought impulse and how we proceed with our life. Um, and that just the slowing down is step one, probably. Right. Or would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. The awareness piece. And I love what you just articulated about thoughts because we are not, <clears throat> we're not our thoughts. No, absolutely not. I, um, when did you first, and speaking of awareness, when did you become aware of your own struggles with depression and what possibly triggered that? Yes. Well, that's a great question because it is not a blanket thing that people experience like depression there's so there's such a range and so to reduce it to just that one word even the word trauma anxiety like all these things have been reduced to meaning one thing and they're really like much more nuanced than that right so my depression was a situational depression which is a very specific experience where you might feel yourself or normal or happy or good or stable and totally fine. Um, and I'm making a line with my hand that's very flat, like a table. And then you dip um, because a series of things happen to you. Could be somebody passes away, you lose your job, you, you know, things happen, and then you suddenly fall off a cliff of sorts. So for me, um, I had spent much of my life with the understanding that my mom was just so sad that she had to go. Like, that's really how it was described to me. And so my understanding was like, well, if I'm 50% her, then I better not get sad because mm. it felt so inevitable what happened to her, the wow. way they described it, that I didn't want to be anywhere near that because it felt like such a, like, she just was so sad. And I was like, well, then I'm not going to be that, you know? So when I started to feel little feelings, so the Olympics is hard for every athlete because you build up to this point and let's just think about for a second, the emoji of a mountain, right? Like it's a very uh, equal image and you build up to the top of this mountain and you uh, are unprepared for the, here, I'm trying to make an even mountain with my arms and I, <laughs> there we go. Um, and, and then after the peak, what often it, what it feels like usually is a cliff because no athlete prepares for the moment after they don't prepare for the descent but if you think about the emoji being a, a, an emoji of a mountain, it, there's a huge, the half the mountain is the descent. And when you're climbing, it's more dangerous to come down a mountain than come up a mountain. And so what I was not prepared for and what caused my situational depression was the lack of preparation for the moment after, which could have been as simple as understanding that there was going to be an <clears throat> adrenal dip afterwards that I could embrace as normal and not reject. So when right. I started rejecting the feelings, it becomes the whole thing, you know? Absolutely. And then, but when you expect it, 
did you realize, did the situational depression go away? No. So by that time, so when I felt these feelings, I just ignored them and was like, I'm fine. And I need to become more and more fine. So I ignored it and it got worse. And that's really what, what is the, that seems very obvious now, but at that right. time I was just like the refusal to admit it felt like the best, the most adaptive way <laughs> to like a beat feel okay inside. Um, now I think much differently, right? I got the help. I learned a lot about mental health, which we could talk about that, but I also learned how to embrace the moment after a peak differently um, to prevent that situational depression. And a peak could be a valley, right? Like if somebody passes away or you lose your job, that's almost a peak in, in a way of a life because it's a, it's an extreme. Mm. So there's a chapter after all of these. Discover the remarkable journey of anonymous John. No one likes feeling alone, anxious, or overweight. But John refused to let his circumstances define him. When his weight ballooned to a staggering 600 pounds, he made a choice to take control of his life. He began documenting his journey in his journal, and after shedding his first 103 pounds, he decided to share his story with the world. Through his journal, he offers inspiration and hope to anyone struggling with similar challenges. If you're looking to be inspired and uplifted, the Anonymous John podcast is for you. Join us on this journey of transformation and visit our website, theanonymousjohn.com. Big, not even moments that, that if we don't address them properly could lead to a situ- situational, you know, depression or whatever other difficulty afterwards. Right. I understand why people like Alexi so much. You're so good at articulating these things that everybody is dealing with. And it's such a great thing to hear somebody who's been to the top say, hey, don't just prepare for being at the top. Get mm. yourself ready for the descent, too, because that, that recovery piece is essentially what that is. Like that has equal value in this equation. Absolutely. I was, I was thinking about this, the same thing is that your, your awareness, both physical and mental, is on another level. And there's, yeah, it's really easy to understand why everyone likes you so much. <laughs> because the thing is, and, and, and listening to you talk, you talk about the way that many of us feel, but we just haven't been able to put into words. And so thank you for that. Yeah. I love words. Yeah. I love words so much. You're good I love with them. them so, so much. It's well, clear. You're very good with weird. them. <laughs> but language is important because the words that we use have such an association and such a value that if somebody tells you one thing about yourself and they use the wrong sequence of words, you can feel pretty crappy. And then somebody who's in tune can use a good sequence of words and they can completely change your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or a different person could use the same words and it will mean something more to you than if a different person said it, right? Like if your dad says something, it might not mean as much as if your coach says it. Right. So it's like, it's so contextualized. Yeah. Too. Well, I, to, to bring us back to that, that post, that, that post peak dip, you know, and I, I just going back to what you're saying, it's just like, that awareness around it, that's really probably one of the most powerful tools you can have is knowing that it's going to be there. And then I guess you could just approach it with almost like a, I like to use the word childlike curiosity so that it's not, you're not a victim of it, but you're, you're aware of it and you know, it's going to come. And when it actually starts to happen, it's like, Oh yeah, welcome. I I knew you're, you're, you're on your way and now we're here. And so no, but, but I, I just love listening to you kind of talk through that journey. It's beautiful. And 
by the way, I think we can see this in all kinds of journeys, you know, for you, obviously it was competitive sports and I'm sure it was probably the release of a book and then creating a film and the release of that. And then there's always the dip afterward for other people. It might be, you know, achieving their weight loss goal, which I've seen that a lot. And guess what? There's yeah. always that after that post dip. And it's like, I can't tell you how many people they'll, they'll lose all the weight, but then that dip afterward, if they're not ready for it, it will trigger them to go sometimes back to those old behaviors because they were a victim of it. So it's just like, man, it just translates into a human experience is really what it is. Yeah. You know, I learned something recently about like, um, cause I was like, what's the first like uncomfortable impulse we get? Like the, what is like a feeling that you get that like, like very early and like there, there's a, meaning like anxiety, like a little feeling, right. That you get them every day, all the time. We get them because anxiety is actually meant to help us. It's something that I've realized, like it's meant like at our core, it's meant to like trigger when like a tiger is going to eat us or whatever those things that you <laughs> yeah. say, you know, but I think the the moment we start to feel something, the slowing down that we just talked about ourselves, like is this a real threat in real time? Like, is there something I need to escape or like prevent or am I seeing something that's real danger or is this, um, is this not a real threat? Like, is this not going to hurt me right now? And it doesn't mean that you stop the work at that point, but if once you realize that it's not presently a threat, which is usually that feeling that dip feeling is usually not a real threat, right? It's just a feeling. And, and I was told that, some of where some of that comes from, like is an unfelt feeling. And I think, and it doesn't mean you address it now. It just means to recognize it. And then those are the things that's the work we do when we're, you know, it, you know, in therapy it, on our own, that's the work we do. And the bigger, the unfelt feelings, the more that stuff has been, you know, suppressed or, un, or, or unresolved or confused or whatever, uh, our anxiety lurches are going to be in a non-threatening way. And so I've been trying to think a lot about that lately, because I do think that some of what got me to where I was, was, was a large, a large, a large, um, a large bear inside of me. That was a lot of unfelt things because it was just not safe to feel certain things at that time. And that's okay. It just wasn't, maybe it's not okay, but it just, it just wasn't. It happened to you, but right? It, yeah. And you can't Whatever. change that. Right. Sure. And I'm really proud of where I am, but like to know that the feelings like they're somewhere and, uh, and they're not a present threat, but there's like a time and a place to set aside for those things, um, has made me a lot calmer in those, those moments of like, those little lurches that we get and I'm trying to avoid um, going to like all these escape mechanisms. Cause we all have them, right? Like what makes us comfortable in those moments. Um, so there's anyway, that's not exactly what you're talking about here, but I'm just saying, well, there's also, there's one other thing I learned that I feel like is worth sharing about like the very early stage of like anxiety or depression. Can I share that? Absolutely. Yes. Please. It's so specific. And I feel like with the work that you're doing with the public schools and the speeches that you're doing, because are, are there, you guys are very specific, actionable people, which I just love about you because um, otherwise it's just talk. There's no like, well, what do I do? Like right. we need to know what to do. Um, so I learned after I healed, you know, my depression, I healed from with like a combination of therapy and medication and time and patience and all the things. But then I learned that um, depression is a disease of depletion. So it's a adrenal fatigue at its at, at the start, right? It's a physical depletion. Um, it's and one of the places where we have our most it's a nervous system depletion, right? And one of the places where we have the, the most nerves is our face, our hands and our stomach. 
And I was told by a physio of all people, he asked me actually, do you remember having anything wrong with your face the week that you started feeling the anxiety after the Olympics? And I did canker sores and an eye twitch, which happens to me sometimes. And he was like, next time you have like a weird thing on your face, I want you to take pause. And I thought that was so silly because for me, a weird thing could be a pimple because I'm Greek and I have perfect skin. And that is for me, that's weird. Right. And um, I wish I was Greek. It it would have been great growing up Greek. (laughs) But but for you, it might be an eye twitch for me. Maybe it might be a splotch on your face. There's something off. And, And so now I've started to pay attention to like, if I have a pimple, if I have an eye twitch, if I have a canker sore, that is starting to be a nervous system overload. And that's the beginning of those kind of those overloads. And so I'll take days off when I have a, those things, you know? Yeah. Good for you. And I love that you shared that mm-hmm. so much because yes. they're, you know, I, I have this uh, psychiatrist that I talk to all the time. And, and one of the things that he says, and I love this is he's like back in the day, doctors decided to specialize in everything. And so somebody became the foot doctor, somebody became the head doctor, somebody became the gut doctor, somebody became the shoulder doctor. And then over time, as humans, we started to look at all those things like they were separate components. But, but they are not. They, we, this is one big-ass organism here. And they're all connected. And so, yes, if you get a little twitch on your face, that probably is your body sending you a signal to slow down a little bit. And so the fact that you, A, know that, B, do something about it when it happens and see have given other people in this moment permission to do the same thing or to start to pay attention to it. Again, I've said it already. This, I love Alexi Pappas. I'm so into the words coming out of your mouth today. I'm so grateful. And I think what we're all doing is, is we're trying to help ourselves probably first and foremost, because that's how we probably learned all this stuff as we had to, but to help other people feel helpable is like the greatest like you want to make people feel capable, but being helpable is step one because because you don't want to be afraid to to fall down and lose or be weak or and I think people are afraid to mess up and stuff because they think that they won't be able to get back up. Absolutely. Are right, we got about ten minutes um, left with Alexi? Yeah. Is there anything you want to cover before we have a little fun with music? Yeah. Well, I, I was the thing is we've covered so many amazing things and and I just. I, I mean, quick question. I already know the answer, but I'm not, I'm, I'm guessing that so many of these topics that we just talked about today, they're all included in your new book that's coming out tomorrow, right? That and more, awesome. but in a very, hopefully in like simple vision, like simple, simple enough, but not, um, not talking down to kids there. It's, it's a challenging book. It's not like for very, very young audiences. I think it's for people who are ready to to, to wear a shoe that's one size too big, if that makes sense. Like oh, it's amazing. half what, size too big, you know? What what would you say would be the earliest age? And I, I know all kids, they progress at different times and levels, but would you say, is this a... Uh, um, 10, 10 plus, 12 plus, 14 yeah. plus? We're saying nine to 14. I think it's, I think a parent will flip through and know what they feel comfortable with. But I also think that kids have access to everything these days and to tell them a different word or to not, or for me to, particularly for me to have like hid what happened to me when I was younger, half the age that they are now, it's like, this stuff is real. And to, to create a middle, like to create like a JV version of life is like, I don't know. It's like, let's just have the freshman team and the varsity at some point yeah. and, and, and let them see the varsity. I don't know. I so it. it's, it's not, it's not for adults, but it's definitely like, it's going to grow someone's mind. 
Well, if, if you write like you speak, this book's going to be a smash. So a smash. I'm, I'm not worried. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, the the, the interview you. is done what its intended purpose is, and that's to get people to want to read your book. And uh, I mean, you've done that for me already. I'm in. Yep. I, I mean, I'm so excited to, to look through this thing because I have teenage sons at home who are competitive. And I really believe after hearing, you know, you talk for 35 minutes that there's going to be something in there that they could uh, that they could learn from. And, and so speaking of that, I want to, I want to have this quick discussion about what are some of the things that you, Alexi would have told your nine to 14 year old self? Like if you could sit little Alexi down as a, as a 12 year old right here, right now, what would you say to her? I would tell her not to plan her life more than one year in advance, because I think when we do, we limit, what we are capable of, like we'll say what we think we could do in five years and usually we'll outgrow that expectation or that ability. So I think one year at a time, roughly, uh, I think to tell them very simply that if they have feelings that they might, they might focus on their actions because actions change first, then thoughts, then feelings in that order. So feelings are real. I think the last thing is that feelings are real. They're like um, kind of like stuffed animals in the front seat of a, of a minivan for some reason that I'm thinking of that you're driving. So I think about like, they're real, they're there, they're sitting there, but you're driving this car and they're watching you and the car is, you're doing your actions and they're really looking at you. So, because I think at that age, um, that, uh, that feelings can be very confusing. And and then I think if they're dream chasers to, to just know that the only thing that gives a uh, dream chasing a bad name is when people don't only do it part way. So just lean all the way in mm, really that. the only way. Right. I love that. Yes. Final questions from you before we have fun with music. No, I'm, I'm just, Please, I'm, I'm waiting for tomorrow to come so I can go get this book. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, it's such a satisfying yeah. conversation, Alexi, and that's a true compliment because not every conversation is satisfying, yeah. but you you really do have a great uh, way with words. And so, bravo. Bravey is out tomorrow. Uh, Alexi Papas, thank you so much for your time. Um, we want to have a little fun, play, play some music for you and see if you can do name that tune. How are you feeling on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like, uh, I'm nervous. Like it's the Olympics. Look, I'm so nervous because even though I listen to a lot of music and in, in sports, you listen to a lot when you train, I'm so, I so live in like a shoebox with regards to like the names of things and pop culture references. No. And, and so, uh, I'm ready to humiliate myself here. Don't oh, worry. There you go. No, no, before we do this, what do you listen to? What's your hype music? Well, what do you listen to when you run? It depends. So I have a writing playlist, like for when I'm writing and then athletically, uh, it will be, I mean, look, it's a, it's a blend of anything, but country. I'll tell you that. Um, per, like it just is for me. Um, and more and more I'm, I'm into this genre called happy hardcore music, which is like, it's intense music, but it is like, it's, it's effect is kind of positive and energetic. I like that. I like it too. I, I'm literally going to look up happy hardcore after this. 
Yeah. That's, that's my like, jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. Listen, name that tune works like this. You get the first like five, six seconds of a song and then you have to tell us title and artist. And if you can do that, congrats. And if you can't listen, we all go back to doing what we were doing 38 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you ready, Chris? Yeah. Oh, right. oh, I'm up first. Well, you- no, I'll, I'll go ahead. Cause I'm ready. Why don't you connect in and you can deliver yours. All right, oh, Alexi. I'm, I'm ready to rock when you are. Here is your song. Okay, there's all you get. That's all you get. Title and artist, what are you thinking? It's You Get What You Give and New Radical. Oh my gosh, oh, see, there you go. But, <laughs> okay. That was very good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you did not humiliate yourself. No, now you still good. have a chance to because Chris has a song for you too, but listen. Very well done. All right, Chris, let's go. All right. All right. You know, it's fun. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change mine really quick just oh, because, what? well, hold on. I'm in the eighties right now. Okay. And Alexi, you're, you're a nineties kid, no right? Way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He always pulls his eighties stuff on me. I won't be able to get. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm, 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 I'm going back to the nineties. Are you going back to the nineties? Yeah, yeah, go back to the nineties and give us a chance. Now, Alexi, yeah, I'm on go. your team here. So listen, between the two of us, we're going to crush this. Okay. Here we go. So it's 90s. okay. I more want to ask. I want to more ask. Ask like, why are you doing this to people? <laughs> we love music. We love music and we love putting people on the spot. Absolutely. It's just something a little bit um, different too. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Okay. Okay. No, oh, I know it already. Yeah. I know it already. <laughs> I don't know this one. It's a shine by collective soul. Amazing. Yeah. Well, this yes. Will be- yes, yes, that's it. Good Thank job, you for buddy. helping me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm here for you anytime, Alexi. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Bravey. I'm so grateful. Comes out tomorrow. I want everybody to please pick up a copy of that book and then do us a solid Take a picture of yourself holding up the book and tag Alexi in it and just tell her how much you appreciate the time that it takes and the energy that it takes to write that book because it is not an easy thing. You've penned four books. I'm trying to pen one. It's a gigantic task. It certainly is. Congratulations on all of your well-deserved success. We, I'm excited to see where you go one year from now, because we plan our lives one year in advance now. Yeah. Right. And so yes. excited to see where you are next year. Just know that you got a couple of friends in Mesa, Arizona that are always cheering you on. You guys are the best energy. And I'm so grateful. It's like, um, sometimes you're just really happy to know certain people exist or things, anything. And I'm just glad you guys, I, I am more than that, but I am also just very glad that you exist. So thank you so much. I was just thinking the same say. thing, man. Me that was too. awesome. That means a lot. Thank awesome. you. Alexi, yeah. have a great, have a great rest of your afternoon. Good thank luck. I know you. you're running a hundred miles here pretty soon. So good luck with that too. Got to sleep a lot. Yeah, and, you do. <laughs> um, an Epsom bath. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Avoid depletion. Um, yeah. Well, congrats on the, on the school stuff. That's amazing. That must've been such a big, I mean, that's hard to get a school system to embrace something at all. I'm serious. I mean, I it can't is. imagine. It takes, like, it takes a long time and you have to prove yourself. This is, it's not an overnight thing. It started back in 2021 and we're still, I mean, it's just been a little bit at a time, but here's the best yeah. part also is that school systems, just like everybody else, they get a little bit of FOMO. And so it's, if you, if you get one, 
then, you know, they're always yeah. like, Hey, what, what are they doing over there in that municipality? Hey, hold on. I heard that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just how short it is. And you're not like, it's not a whole, it just feels so like digestible for that audience too. you know, five, five like, minutes. And that's the thing. You have to lower the barrier of entry far more than most people would expect. You got to bring it down to five minutes and make it as easy. Yeah. As that as makes possible. sense. Yeah. But, but that's how simplicity and I, I'm, okay, I don't mean to make this about my project or anything, but like no, the cool. fact that it's simple is the, the reason why it will be successful is because it's, it's the same music and it's the same movements every day. And it, but there's a long story behind it. And actually a, a concept just like that actually completely changed the nation uh, for like over 90, 95 years. The Emperor Hirohito in Japan in like 1928, he mandated three and a half minutes of movement in all the mm. schools. And in one generation, he actually turned Japan into the healthiest country in the world. And now here we are 95 wow. years later, 27 million people still do the same three and a half minutes of movement to the same three and a half minutes of music every day. And so I, I the concept That's is really not cool. new. And I saw it and I just thought, man, we need this now. Yeah. Man, it changed the yeah. country. Why aren't we doing this? And we've got the technology to do yeah. it. So I started it and it's, going and it's like this is so cool and it's so beautiful to go to these schools and have 800 kids in front of me and they know the movements better than i do <laughs> you know and it's just it's it's really cool so, yeah. yeah so that's awesome and school is such a good thing to do it because kids are like whatever you have to do in school if it happens to be like a little fun you're like well i'm required to be here anyway like it feels like they're getting <laughs> right. away with something right totally. you know there's like a right like because if you try to do it at home at home, you're detracting from other things. In school, you're only detracting from like school. Exactly. You know, exactly. I feel like that's yes. just such a perfect, perfect place to do it. Yeah, you know, it's been wonderful. Uh, anyway, yes, well, that's sweet. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, and um, I hope you have like the most. Um, well, I wish you all that you wish for yourself. That's what my grandpa used to say to me, and that. Is what I wish for you. That's awesome. <laughs> Likewise, okay. my friend. Thank you, Alexi. Have a really great okay. day. You too. Talk soon. Thank right. you. Take All care. Right. Bye bye. Wow, that was just un-freaking believable. I just want to like dive into her mind. I know. And just the way she can put everything into words so beautifully. That was amazing. I. First of all, that was the nicest compliment at the end of an interview. Almost ever. Yes. But it, it, I don't know about you, but I was thinking the same thing. Like during her interview, I'm thinking, wow, I'm just so glad someone like you exists. How do we get, that's what I was thinking. How do we yeah. get so lucky to have this person on the yeah. phone who has these things? What were a couple of your biggest takeaways? I'm going to tell you mine if you need to think about yours. The biggest one for me was that that anxiety thing mm. is the tip off that something is like going on yes yes and, and it's not a bad thing it's just like it's an indicator yeah i love her thoughts about especially with, with children about understanding their feelings versus like actions thoughts and then feelings and then also planning the years because like the thing is like in conversations i'm always just kind of picking up on either things i can apply to myself or to my kids and i love that she's talking to kids now so like that that was a huge takeaway for me so I'm going to have some really good conversations with my kids after this. And guys, please go pick up her book, Bravey. It comes out tomorrow. It's going to be, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be chock full of valuable information 
that and, we can and easily get a number a, a New York Times bestseller out of the gate. Yeah, let's let's make it happen. All right, we're gonna make it happen, guys. Good stuff. Well, listen, we uh, we're gonna get out of here in just a couple of minutes, but I wanted to take a little deeper dive into our weekends because <laughs> I felt like there's some great stories yeah. uh, surrounding it. Both of us spent more time on the airplane than I guarantee we did on the stage <laughs> for the right. thing we were flowing out to do. Oh, for sure. Every time? Yes, of course. All right. Yes. So you, you leave for Hawaii when, like, Thursday, or when did you leave? Uh, Wednesday morning, we, okay. we took off for Hawaii. And you, when you left Thursday. I, I didn't leave Thursday. I left, actually, Friday afternoon. Wow. So I didn't get into Louisville until 1 a.m. was oh when my, I got to my oh hotel. Oh, my gosh, because you're flying east. Yeah. That time zone thing sucks. It's brutal. It's, it's, br- yeah, it's amazing on the way back. Yeah, right. right? Yes, it's yes. amazing on the way back, but it is brutal on the way out. Yeah, when, when, whenever you're flying west, it's like, man, you just gain all kinds of hours, which is wonderful. But so I want to know how how did it go? How did it go with the Department of Education in Hawaii? Um, how was the conference? How were the because there was like 1,500 educators there, or yeah. something like well, that. So so we did. It was the the auditorium could only seat 600, so it was a couple day conference. So they brought me in day one, had 600. It was principals. It was the, the leaders of their schools. So it was the Department of Education. So all public schools were there, or all the principals, and a lot of their main educators, like the, the key super channel controllers. People. Exactly. So it was awesome. And day one was mostly middle and high school. And uh, so it was, but I got them out there, had 30 minutes on stage, got everybody moving, told them all about the history of, of Raggio Taiso, which was like the inspiration behind Move One Million. And then I took him through Move One Million and with the movement and the mindfulness, and I laid, just laid it all out for him, gave him a QR code at the end where they can actually then download all the assets for themselves and they can, you know, bring it to their own schools. So that was a win. And then, uh, and then of course, as soon as that wrapped up, then we ran around as fast as we could to do some Hawaii stuff. What did you do? Dude, we, we did this thing called Cocoa Head. It's on, it's on Oahu. It's like the Manitou Incline in Colorado Springs where it's these railroad ties all the way up the side of the mountain and it's gnarly. So we, we climbed Cocoa head. Then we ran over to Pearl Harbor and yeah. What's that experience like, man, what is it sobering? It is. Yeah. I mean, we, I was looking at the, the USS Utah. Everyone goes to the Arizona, which I've, I was there last time, went to the Utah this time. And, and all of these shoot, these, these ships that are sunk, they're tombs. There are bodies still stuck inside of them. Mm. And you're just looking at this plaque of these, you know, probably a hundred sailors that are actually still stuck in the hole of this ship and the ship is rolled over on its side and just, and you look around and you, and and when you learn the history of like how the attack happened and everything, it's really sobering. So then, um, but then we went back to the hotel, you know, then I woke up the next morning. Actually, I didn't story about this. I I did story a lot of it in my, in my Instagram and Facebook, but then uh, went to um, uh, elementary school in Kaneohe Bay, which is like, there's a big Marine Corps station there. And it was awesome just, and it was a very intimate setting. So I just got to move all the teachers there. And then we went right from that to the big conference again, where, and this, this time, the second day was all elementary school teachers, mm-hmm. which is, and principals, that's which is, best, that's right? my key. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. That's, that's, those are my peeps. So then there's 600 of them again. We did the, the conference and it was amazing. And, um, yeah, just the, the whole vibe. It's so awesome, especially to have the department of education behind this. And because the change happens from the top down. So to have that kind of backing and the support and, and again, it just the feeling and the vibe was just beautiful. So I've never been to Hawaii. Is the water as incredible as they say? You never, oh my, yes, it is. It really? is, it is, I can't even, I can't put it into words. It is breathtaking. Everything from the mountains to the, the trees and just 
the, the water and the people. I was going to ask, how are the people? They're incredible. Just so, so kind, so wonderful. I mean, they're full of aloha, right? Mm. Which is the spirit of, of the islands and it's everything in, in one. And it's just the whole place, man, it's, it's a, it's a, Incredible vibe, man. There's a lot of energy oh, there. My whole family wants to go so bad. You, you and have so, to go. You know, whenever there's a, whenever opportunity presents. We'll yeah, man, you have to. I, I'm excited. Well, I tell you what, when we go back, when we get all these kids moving in these schools and they know the routine really well, we want to come back and we'll do a big media tour. Let's just gonna, pod from there. Yes, dude. That would be amazing. We should absolutely do that. Business expense. <laughs> Right off. Hello. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. We're potting from Hawaii. Who wants yes. to come with? Yeah. I think people would be into it. I, I can hear the response right can now. Too. Yes. <laughs> people like me. All right. I'll so, be there. Enough about Hawaii. Oh, Tell me yeah. about Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky. What a, what a great little town. I'd, I'd never been there before, but as I told these people, I was actually on the radio in Louisville for almost three years. I, right. I, I worked for a company uh, and we had a little experiment in Louisville on a radio station called Gen X Radio. That was what the format of the radio station was. And so I was the morning guy on that radio station for about three years. And when I brought it up in, in my talk in front of all the teachers and I was like, I was actually on this little station, Gen X Radio, loads of people remembered. It. Oh, that's amazing. They didn't really remember me, but they remembered the radio station because it was awesome. Yeah. It was a really fun radio station. We just played lots of great music from the Gen X era. Oh, that's cool. Um, but I was out there to talk to, uh, so the Jefferson County Public School District is the largest and only public school system in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, wow. Okay. Like 16,000 employees. Wow. That's big. L- loads of schools. The, 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 the district is so big. They had 500 teachers there who were just new teachers. Wow. Yeah, that's so huge. it was impressive. And so um, they gave me an opportunity to go out and teach them some some burnout and self-care strategies so that they could, you know, because this thing is a marathon. Teaching is a marathon. That's not yeah. a sprint. That's a long game. Oh, yeah. And and you, you have to you have to know how to take care of yourself in order to do a job like that. At, well, good on them for recognizing the importance of mental health and having someone like you out there to give them those tools. Listen, I appreciated the leap of faith because as I articulate to everybody, like I'm not a doctor. There's no letters after my name. I didn't go to school for this. Like I'm, I'm really just somebody who lived it. Mm. I went through it myself. I know what it takes. Like Alexi said earlier, I know what that feels like to be at the very bottom. And then I know what it takes to get yourself out of that mindset and put yourself back on the tracks. And that's all I wanted to a chance to say to these folks and Dr. Carr and Jennifer, who were part of this thing, they, they both said that the, the, the teachers, when they surveyed them, self-care was one of the biggest things that they struggle with. Mm. So yeah. now they know, now they have some tools. They've got some real tangible things. They've got eight to 12 steps that they get to put into their life immediately to start to change that narrative. Awesome. It was well, fun, man. You need to go see more schools oh. because man, uh, there's probably a million teachers out there that could, that, that need to hear what you have to say. Well, just go to learn from people who live to.com and hit the contact page. Boy, I couldn't wait. Go. I'll be there next week. You tell me what you need. <laughs> I'm ready to go. We are here to serve schools. Absolutely. <laughs> That's well, what they we need do. It. Yes. This is our next generation. Like this is, this is the, the people in the trenches who are serving our next generation, who are going to bring them up and create amazing Americans. <laughs> so yes. let's freaking go. Let's go. But they need all the help they can get. And so do our kids. So. Man, what a beautiful uh, podcast today. Yes, it was. Can we have Alexi back next week? Yeah. 
She should be like the third member of the podcast. <laughs> just just to take what, whatever we say and then articulate it even better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Alexi, yeah. here's our thoughts. Could you make sense out of it? Yeah, she's like, so what Matthew's trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> right? Outstanding. Well, as we say every single week, guys, we're so honored to be in your little earbuds every single week on Mondays. I know a lot of people look forward to the podcast and they download it. If you could just do us a huge favor and share our podcast with one of your closest friends, somebody that you think could use a little uh, inspirational message in their earbuds every single week. We'd appreciate that. And we'd also love some reviews. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, good reviews. <laughs> Five stars and good reviews. If you have something bad to say, let us know. We'll yes. work on it. That's it. You guys, we're, we're always growing and evolving and we always will be. So, Amen. All right. Uh, what's on tap this week, brother? Oh, it's a big week, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the trenches. Um, we're working like crazy on this new platform. We're getting close. So close. Yeah, beta is going to be out when? Next week. That's that's what we're working hard on. Yeah, so beta will be out, which means, guys, it means the, the launch to the world is uh, we're about, about six to eight weeks away. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Let's go time. Once again, don't forget to uh, pick up Alexi's book. It's called Bravey. It's in stores tomorrow. Have a great rest of your week. Peace, guys.